0: today's episode is brought to you by audible.com the premier provider of downloadable spoken word entertainment you can get a free audiobook from audible by visiting audiblepodcast.com mission log
1: mission log a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast episode 125 the outrageous Okana.
0: Welcome into another episode of Mission Log, a Rottenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion, and I... <laughs> and I'm Ken Ray. Each week on Mission Log, we dig around in an
2: episode of Star Trek looking for messages, morals, and meanings, like a college kid digging around in a couch cushion for beer money. What <laughs> uh,
0: What was that? Oh, I got us a laugh track. You try it, and we'd love to hear from you. Like a person in the sitcom from the 70s likes to hear from an (laughs) in-law. Like an animal likes to hear it's going to the veterinarian. (laughs) Like a veterinarian likes to hear from an in-law.
2: Well, that was 99 cents well spent. You were saying uh, about getting in touch with um, us.
0: Oh yes, I was indeed. Uh, Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. You can contact us in all of those places where our handle is Mission Log Pod, or you can call us three two three five two two five six four one. You can email us missionlog at roddenberry dot com, and uh, we would encourage you to check out our website, which includes discovered documents and other content. Mission dot com, and we have two additional distributors where you can pick up Mission Log trekmovie.com and trekfm that's trek.fm remember we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of mission log this week it is the outrageous
2: okana okana truly
0: truly outrageous
2: <laughs> oh, Man, uh. indeed guest stars aplenty on this yeah. episode some of them i think before they were stars is that is that fair to say
0: uh, that's very true, Ken, and, yeah. uh, and, and I'll have to warn you that in trivia, because by warning you, I'm warning the audience, I'm not going to go through every guest star and every credit they ever had. Really? So we'll just do the highlights. All right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so today's episode, the, the main guest star is bill campbell Woo-hoo! who is, yes yeah also known as william campbell but not to be confused with william campbell who was also on the original series playing a cad he of course played Trelane, and he played koloff in uh, the trouble with tribbles fantastic actor this is a different william campbell also a fantastic actor well this was william o campbell Yes. Yeah, he's credited as William O. Campbell. He's not always credited as William O. Campbell. No, uh, he's Billy Campbell, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes he's Billy Campbell. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Now, of course, Bill Campbell was the Rocketeer. Yes, he was. uh, And I love that movie, and (laughs) I love him in it. So um, so
2: do I. Well, yeah, I, yeah. I barely remember him in it, honestly. But I just remember loving that movie. I barely you love remember. Movie. Yeah, I, I have good feelings, good memories about that movie. I really couldn't tell yeah. you much about it. Timothy Dalton, I know Jennifer Conley. Well, um, I was to
0: say you, you can't forget those two. Alan all. Arkin.
2: I mean,
0: oh yeah, yeah, right. Great, right? Great,
2: yeah. great cast. Yeah. I barely remember anything that happened, but I think I just loved the. I think I loved the rocket outfit and the helmet.
0: Yeah. Let's go watch that now. You want to? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bill Campbell was also a regular on Armistead Mopan's Tales of the City. And uh, he was later on a show called The 4400, created by next-gen writer Renee Echeverria and uh, DS9 producer Ira Stephen Bear.
2: Did they so, finish uh, that, by the way, like in in, in novels or something? Because I was a serious 4400 fan. I didn't know there was a oh, Star really, connection. Really? Yeah, I used to yeah, watch it every yeah. week. yeah. Yeah, he was also, uh, Bill Campbell, by the way, or Billy Campbell, whichever, was also in The Killing. Mm, mm-hmm.
0: Um, mm-hmm.
2: I, I, for, I think, the first, I know definitely the first season. I want to say the first two seasons. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Very cool. Just yeah. to and
2: share that with you. There's no Star Trek tie in there, but I was also no, a no, fan but
0: of that. <laughs> I'm sure if we dug hard enough, we could find one. At least a couple of degrees of separation. Um, we also have today Joe Piscopo as the comic. Um, now, I, it, here's the thing. I, I've always liked Joe Piscopo because I've always liked Saturday Night Live, even when Saturday Night Live is bad, and even when Joe Piscopo stopped being cool. Um, he, he is talented in, in some kind of weird way he does a mean sinatra and i would say that he looks more like sinatra now than when he was doing sinatra 25 years ago well more than 30 years ago on saturday night live um there is a reference in his act to jerry lewis and jerry lewis was originally considered for this role Mm -hmm. uh, which would have been a very different show i would have loved that yeah I would have just absolutely loved that. But I'm a huge Jerry Lewis fan, so. Yeah, it would have been a a very different show. Now, um, Piscopo did ad lib a bunch of his jokes for the show. Clearly, there were a few lines that they had to work in because it was relevant to the story. But most of the comedy is stuff that he came up with to uh to fit the scene now we also have the transporter officer robinson played by terry hatcher and this is before lois and clark uh clearly before desperate housewives um she was also on seinfeld and um she went uncredited uh something she apparently asked for since there was so little of her in this episode she had lines But apparently there was more to have been done with that character. And she just kind of said, "Eh, I'm barely in it. Don't don't give me a credit. Now, um, Kieran Mulroney, who played Devin's son, Benzel, also appeared in Seinfeld and actually in the same episode as Terry Hatcher. So while Jerry was dating Terry Hatcher's character, Mulroney's character was calling out George Costanza for double dipping. Uh, Yanar was played by Rosalind Allen. Also, she was on Seinfeld once, and she was a regular on uh, Sequest 2034, if you remember that show. She played the dolphin. No, 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 she didn't. She, she came in later in the series and, uh, I believe she was their, uh, medical officer. She replaced the previous medical officer on the show. Oh, uh, okay. That's the extent of my sequest, uh, uh, trivia knowledge right there and, and of course the one of the kind of obvious bits of trivia but we have to talk about it is that of all the names that go by when Data is asking the computer to see comedians um, you get David Livingston who's a production manager on NextGen and he went on to be a producer on later shows uh, Ronald B. Moore, that's B as in boy, who was a visual effects supervisor and he is also listed it is incorrectly stated in some places. That it's Ronald D. Moore, but Ronald D. Moore had not joined the show yet, so there would be no reason to put his name on the holodeck list. Now, if you watch it in HD, there are some changes and uh, uh, little edits to those names that go by. Uh, We can very clearly see Gary Hutzel, Mary Howard, Dan Curry, Doug Drexler, on and on and on. Uh, All very uh, fun and entertaining people in their own right, but none of them actually stand-up comedians. Now, John, I know we are dying to get to uh, the
2: um, you know the recap and, and and the meat of today's show, but mm-hmm. before we do that, uh, we do have a uh, we do have a message from today's sponsor, Audible.com. Now, Audible is the place to go online for spoken word entertainment. Mostly, that's audio books of all types: history, mystery, comedy, or show of hands. Are there any science fiction fans listening? I was talking to a Mission Log listener the other day who told me that I should check out the Eugenics Wars. They tell the tale of the rise of Khan Noonien Singh. The first book is read by Anthony Stewart Head of Buffy the Vampire Slayer fame, while Volume 2 is read by Deep Space Nine's René Aubergenois. Now, someone else wrote in and said that I should check out Lock-In by John Scalzi. It's about a guy who's been transferred into an android body. No idea why he'd suggest that for me, but cool! Also, it's read by NextGen own Will Wheaton. Now, if you're into something a bit more interactive than that, uh, they have some radio plays that I have owned and listened to for years. they got the Star Wars radio plays that aired on NPR forever ago, featuring Mark Hamill and Anthony Daniels. And they've got the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy radio plays featuring, well, all the people from the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy radio plays. And the cool thing is you can get any one of those titles for free at audiblepodcast.com slash log, Or you can choose from the 150,000 other titles they have. From top bestsellers to works more obscure, if you can't find something to listen to in 150,000 titles, well, you're not really trying, are you? And listening is super easy. Audiobooks work on iOS devices, Androids, Kindle Fires, Windows phones, and over 500 other MP3 players. Plus, they've got free apps for iPhones, iPads, Androids, and Windows phones, so it really couldn't be simpler. Audible is helping to support this show, so please show your support and get your free audiobook at audiblepodcast.com slash missionlog. Get this, they've even got something called the Great Listen Guarantee. If you decide that you don't like the book that you chose, don't worry about it. You can exchange any book you aren't happy with for another title anytime. No questions asked. You ask, how much better could this be? And the answer is, none much better. Find out for yourself with your free title at audiblepodcast.com slash missionlog That's audiblepodcast.com slash missionlog And thanks to Audible for supporting this week's show.
1: So many big names and so much big talent in this show. Settlin' for what must surely be one of the best episodes of the next generation ever.
0: Prologue. Traveling to the Omega Sagittarius system, the Enterprise encounters a devil-may-care, kind of dreamy, freighter pilot whose navigation system is damaged. He starts with the charm right away, gets himself an invitation to beam aboard. Diana says she feels he's safe. Wesley chimes in that the repairs to his ship should be easy. Act 1. With Captain Okana's ship and the tractor beam, the lovable scamp beams over to greet the crew and takes a little time to flirt with the transporter officer. It's not O'Brien, by the way. This transporter operator is a young woman. We'll call her Robinson. Geordi goes to work on the damaged part from Okana's ship, and after a brief chat with Data about having fun and loosening up with a joke or two, Okana goes to work on that transporter officer we met, and he met, just a few moments ago. She is clearly off-duty. He has clearly been in space alone for far too long. Act 2. Captain Okana is the talk of the town. He might not be aware of it yet if he's still canoodling with Robinson, but the others on the Enterprise are trying to figure out what to make of him. Riker sees the opportunity to tell Wesley about growing up, being a man, and making your own decisions. Data is still flummoxed by what a joke is. Guinan says, yeah, I can see that. To get some help, Data goes to the holodeck, since that went so well last time. The Enterprise computer comes up with an avatar of a 20th century stand-up comedian who looks almost exactly like a 20th century comedian named Joe Piscopo. The comedian and Data talk. Data wants to learn the concept behind what makes a joke funny, what makes people laugh. The comedian takes him through many examples, and Data is doing his best to pick it up. A little later in 10 Forward, Data is trying out what he learned on Guinan, This isn't working either. He's repeating the words, but it's just not genuine. Before he can screw this up any further, Data gets called back to the bridge since there is an unidentified vessel approaching. They're not answering hails. It gets closer and then does something unthinkable. It locks lasers on the Enterprise. No, not phasers. Lasers. This is what Malone meant about bringing a knife to a gunfight. And if Picard and Riker haven't found anything Data has done to be funny, they definitely find this funny. No, shields will not be raised. Act 3. The tiny, non-threatening vessel opens up a channel to the Enterprise, and a man identifying himself as Devon from the planet Atlec tells Picard that Akana is a criminal. The Enterprise must release him or prepare to be boarded. They have no jurisdiction here. Before they can do anything, though, Devin has company. Another ship arrives. This one from Stray Levin, commanded by Kuschel. You probably have guessed by now that they want Okana as well. They are also pretty worked up about the whole thing. Meanwhile, Picard has requested Okana come to the bridge, but apparently Okana has been keeping himself busy in multiple crew quarters with... Uh, we can only imagine with whom. Worf finds Okana in the arms of some woman from the crew the guy does have game now on the bridge okana is not telling picard why he is a wanted man but picard calls the first ship and asks debon to explain debon shows off his daughter who unmistakably is with child three guesses who the father is and the first two don't count act four deanna gets it this is an honor thing seems like Worf might have something to say about that too a little different story with Cushell, he is accusing Okana of stealing jewels that are a national treasure. Either way, Picard is tired of hearing about the bickering, and he brings Okana into the ready room. Picard is in a bind, since either way, if he hands over Okana to one of these other ships, he'll create a political incident, possibly war for the other. Without even knowing there is such thing as a prime directive, Okana says, look, just let me go, this is not your problem. Not a bad idea. O'Connor visits Geordi to see how the repairs are coming along. While he waits, he is moved by the wisdom of Wesley Crusher. Wesley doesn't get it. Why keep running from one place to another? You would miss your friends and family. That's all it took. O'Connor might have had a change of heart. At least we'll have time for a commercial break to think that over. Act 5. O'Connor has a new plan. He won't say to whom, but he has announced that he will surrender himself. Time to invite both Devin and Kushel on board the Enterprise for a chat. Devin has his pregnant daughter with him, and Kushel has his son, the one Okana befriended and then stole from. Let the bickering begin! Oh. The kids lied. Devin's daughter got knocked up by Kushel's son. Kushel's son stole the jewel as a wedding gift for Devin's daughter. Okana's off the hook. Okay. Back on the holodeck, Data is showing Guinan his comedy simulator. The comedian tells Data he probably needs an audience, and the computer creates one. Do you want to know what happens next? Too bad! Back to the Okana non-story. Deben's daughter, Yanar, is torn over the whole Montague-Capulet thing. She's not supposed to marry Kushel's son, Benzen, but Okana has been there all along smuggling her so the two lovers can be together. They'll marry Yanara and Benzen and the two fathers will goad them about where they should live and who has the rights to what done with that now. All right, back to the comedy club. The Comedian introduces data and he kills the holodeck audience is just eating up everything. He says they will laugh at anything. He could really have a career doing a podcast data sees through it though. And he turns the audience off. Guinan gives him a little pep talk being funny isn't the be-all, end-all of being human. Data's still bummed, though, in a non-feeling, totally android way, because laughing at jokes seems to be so uniquely human, except for all the other species who we have seen have a good laugh. O'Connor goes away. Data tells some jokes. The end. <laughs> <laughs> Did you find that funny? I found
2: I found the end of your uh, recap there very funny. Yes, well,
0: oh, well. well done. I like to cut to the chase, Ken.
2: You know, I, uh, I remember going to a couple of comedy clubs in the 80s. I was maybe a little young, but I did. I remember going to some comedy clubs in the 90s. I went to some fairly—I I went to Catch a Rising Star in Harvard Square. Oh, cool. Yeah, you know, which was a great place. I saw Stephen Wright try out some material there.
0: Oh, awesome.
2: Yeah, and Barry Crimmins. It was really neat. I also saw a friend of mine uh, just absolutely die on stage it was sort of terrible it was it was Ouch. really and then he came back and sat at our table and i was like oh man now you're killing me
0: it, it's funny you know the the late 80s and into the early and mid 90s was such a boom for stand-up comedy like that yeah. that's all comedy central showed and that's all hbo showed and it was a really really good time to see yeah. a lot of good comedians but also a lot of experimental maybe not so good comedians yeah and then they all got sitcoms and suddenly the comedy uh, the comedy club scene died
2: Apparently, there's actually a very good one here in Buffalo, which I haven't been to. Uh, Colin, oh, uh, Colin Quinn was there recently, did like three or four nights, and unfortunately, okay. I, did, I thought he was only going to be there for one night, and I was busy that night, and I missed it. And blah blah blah. Really quickly, the whole the whole reason I bring up all the comedy club thing, yeah, never in my life have I seen a comedy club that clean nor well lit, <laughs> right, even, right? Even the good ones. I mean, that was that was a that was a, that was a, that was a swanky comedy club. It was
0: very high end and it was very sanitized. It, it was indeed. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, what did we pick up from this uh, episode, Ken, <laughs> um, in terms of our observations? Uh, well, it's the attack of the mullet show.
2: Mm, yeah, there are a lot of mullets between Piscopo and and look, I know he's got sensitive ponytail going, but what Billy Campbell has is a mullet. You take you take the hair tie out, and he yeah. goes from Billy Campbell to Billy Ray Cyrus. I'm just <laughs> saying, it's <laughs> it's ugly. Oh, I should get the laugh track back. That was a mm-hmm. yeah, <clears throat> that was worthy. I think. It was also kind of odd to me that the Enterprise really learned nothing from symbiosis. What's, what's the deal in symbiosis? You know, the, the ship oh, is yeah. gonna, ship's going to yeah, crash and burn up or something into the atmosphere of the sun. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. And then the Enterprise, you know, stops and, and saves them and then has 44 to 48 minutes of, well, how do we get out of this? Right. So yeah. they, so they yeah. come across the outlandish Akona and right. I've been pronouncing it wrong all week in my head, so I figured I would do it for everybody else, too. They come across the, the outrageous Akana, uh-huh. and what do they do? Oh, let's fix the ship. It's, uh, it's 44 hey, yeah. minutes that you're not going to get back, Captain Picard. Right. It's, it's, it's going right. to be a long 44 minutes for you. Uh, points, though, to Worf. He has learned something. Captain Picard's like, hey, let's bring Akana on board. And Worf's like, hey, why don't we not give him access to everything on the ship?
0: Like, except for the women. Wow. Well, <laughs> you know. Picard doesn't
2: care about that. He makes that very clear when Akana's like, look, yeah. sorry about your dames. And Picard's like, I don't care what you do with the dames, whatever. <laughs> Talk to me about the false pretenses under which you came on board my ship. you yeah. know. And at that yeah, point, yeah, I'm yeah. thinking, well, it was really on Picard to ask.
0: Sure. Sure. <laughs> Should he
2: not have yeah. said, hey, before we bring you on board, are you wanted? Will there be <laughs> any globflies coming after us? Are you on drugs? Uh, that would also be a decent because question. To that ask, would be a I good suppose. question.
0: Yeah. Because yeah. we can take you to a planet. Are you on drugs?
2: <laughs> we know. Well, yeah. no, I'm suffering from an illness, if that's what you mean. <laughs> so that, that wouldn't have helped any. you got to be a bit more specific. Right?
0: But, you know, uh, uh, Okana is there to shake things up and and uh, we don't usually encounter people with uh, eccentric personalities on the enterprise. And, and if we do, we get rid of them pretty quickly, at least within 44 minutes, you know, it's like true. if they're if they're money obsessed or or if they like country and Western music or if, if they if they're an admiral. If they're an admiral, if, if, and now, you know, if, if they like the ladies too much, yeah, um, yeah you know, he, he shows up and he's got jokes and he's got clever banter with everybody, so we need to get him out of there.
2: Yeah, he was, Just, he was, is is it my imagination or was he cosplaying as captain as
0: as a Han Solo? He kind of was. That, that must have been on the breakdowns. You know, <laughs> we need a Han Solo type right. <laughs> to He's, he's got the vest. We need a
2: G-rated Han Solo, though. <laughs> right, right. Somebody who's the devil may care, but he wouldn't actually, you know, not say devil because that might offend somebody. And you know, it's,
0: it, it's devil may care, but smiles a lot. He
2: smiles a lot. You know, yeah. There's a lot of smiling going on when he's around. Yeah, even yeah. when Wesley's like talking him down for being
0: such a cad, uh, <laughs> he's still right.
2: smiling. At him.
0: Yeah, that, that's. I, I don't know. I, I can see that if if a young Billy Campbell. Got, got cast in this role. I, I would just see that actor, and, and in this case, Billy Campbell, being very excited about that. Hey, I get to go on Star Trek and play a fun-loving, rakish cad, a.k.a. not Han Solo. <laughs> well, is it, is it my imagination, or do
2: we both have a little bit of a man crush on Billy Campbell? I think we do. Because, you know, I can yeah, yeah. watch that yeah. guy in just about anything. And, you know, he totally. does the totally. whole smiling thing. And the first time I watched the episode... Well let's say let's say my reaction the first time I watched the episode was different than my reaction the second time I watched the episode. He's okay. a, he's a very charismatic guy. Yeah, I would yeah. say.
0: And like, well, and it's and the, the same thing the in the Rocketeer. When,
2: when we thought he was a murderer. I was still like, <laughs> yeah, but he can't be. Come on. It's Billy Campbell. Look at him.
0: <laughs> well, it's, it's the same thing in the Rocketeer. Part of the fun of that movie is that he is having so much fun. The character, Seacord is having so much fun with it. Yeah. Even, you know, in that first scene when he just crashes with the rocket pack, he's like, yeah, this is great. You I know? just remembered somebody
2: else. Uh, the stepfather is in that movie. He plays Howard Hughes.
0: Oh, right. Yeah, Yeah. totally.
2: Or the guy from Lost. I guess more people know him as the guy from Lost, but he'll always be the stepfather to me.
0: Right, right. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Now, the the conversation that uh, Okana is having with Data is like, don't you ever get drunk? Don't you ever cut loose? And and I wondered, is Data just being coy there? Because he seems to know nothing about getting drunk or having sex. Two things that he has already done um, in the short one season and four episodes. Well, not not on alcohol no but it's the same thing he knew that it was being drunk whether or not it's alcohol but he he does clarify he says not on alcohol right and and also
2: uh what's his name uh didn't ask about the amazing okana the outlandish okana whatever the outrageous (laughs) outrageous captain okana didn't ask about sex he asked about love data is doing what data does he's he's you know parsing it out because he's very literal he's data he's not lore, yeah 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 you yeah. know so yeah. of course he's yeah. gonna ask all those questions and, uh, but and the and that... the answer might be yes you know <laughs> but yeah. first he has to make sure he knows what he's answering
0: yeah and then we see that romantic side of wakana he he is the one who has a harder time uh separating love and sex than data does yes yeah so, again, we'll, we'll we'll chalk one up to him being the squeaky clean version of Han Solo. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I don't know, though, because we do see him making time with two people immediately. And Wharf makes it sound like there have been a few others.
0: Uh, he does. I, I think they said that he had been in at least three crew quarters. There you go. Maybe maybe Okana's version of love is that he just falls in and out of love very fast. <laughs> you know, it, it could be that. Yeah, it was a whole relationship. And speaking of Worf, finding him that was I, I had to write this down because it's so odd. Worf has this weird line when he interrupts Okana and and some babe in Flagrante. He says, "I'd like that," but Okana hasn't said anything. Yeah. It's very awkward. He just catches them and they're in the embrace and Okana kind of turns toward him. And he doesn't, like, rush him. I mean, he doesn't pull a knife on him because, obviously, they took the knife away. Uh, but he, he doesn't do anything. And Worf just, like, gives him the glare and is like, I'd like that. Wow. And it's like, you'd, you'd like what? <laughs> because there's something very different going on here than a fight. And, and on top of that, Worf gives a very disapproving look. To the woman that Okana was with right before he leaves with Okana. Like, Okana walks by Worf. He's already out on the corridor. And Worf just takes a moment to just give this woman the look. And, and I'm here to say that's not cool. And it's not respectful. And it's not even the tiniest bit funny.
2: Um, okay, first of all, I didn't notice the look. But I honestly gave her a look. And it has nothing to do with the fact that, you know... She is a wanton woman or anything like that. It has nothing to do with how she spends her off time. It has to do with the captain of her ship was calling the guy that she was there with. As a member of Starfleet, as a member of that crew, she should have been yeah. like, no, seriously. I mean, yeah, I'm having fun. Don't get me wrong. But that's, that's my boss's
0: boss's boss's boss. <laughs> you, you, really, you really probably should go and see what's up. Maybe the uh, maybe the speaker didn't reach there. Maybe they had turned it off. Maybe you can do that because that would be a great option if you're on that starship is be able to turn off announcements. Remember how we talked about maybe you have a printer that prints out the self destruct. Yes, uh, you know maybe maybe she had it in print mode right. and she didn't get the message. I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll give her a little bit of benefit of the doubt, but I do see where you're coming from with that. Um, they do have FaceTime in the future, and they go full conference mode. Um, which is something that uh, Picard called out, very impressed with that, and yet they still have they, they still have the Gwen DeMarco you know thing where you have to turn to
2: somebody <laughs> else and make it you know
1: <laughs>
2: mute mute right honestly Worf was, was sort of reduced and part of it well in, in that part anyway he 's pretty much reduced to a remote control. Mm.
1: A stand-up comedian on the holodeck. This episode could easily have become a retelling of the Practical Joker.
2: Well, I don't want to give away uh, the end of this episode of Mission Log. I will say it is with Herculean strength that I try to pull something of worth <laughs> from this episode. Oh, man. At least that's oh, my man. feeling. I don't, you know, okay. Maybe, maybe okay. you feel differently. And, and certainly, it takes all kinds to fill the highway. But I do have a question. Does Starfleet deal in complete openness? I mean just like i mean is everything out there as far as Starfleet is concerned, because the second ship uh, the, the ship with the father and the son on it with Benzel and his dad uh, mm-hmm. they say that they 've been monitoring enterprise communications with the other ship mm-hmm. now i can 't imagine that they 're great as far as you know decoding like like encoded information because they 're still flying around with lasers, maybe they spent yeah. all of their you know technical prowess on on ways of cracking communications, but you would think they would have spent a little bit of time coming up with something a bit more advanced than a laser. Laser. So we're given to understand that their technology is fairly primitive, and yet no one is surprised that they were able to monitor the Enterprise communications. Mm. Is this a difference between communications and, like, subspace communications or that that secret code whatever communication that uh, Picard got from his friend in uh, Conspiracy? Um, what's so, the deal? I mean, are they just, is like everything just out in the open? Is that, is that part of the, is that part of the, the future sort of Federation, uh, Starfleet
0: way? Okay. Do you, you want me to geek out for a moment? Cause I, I will geek out. For yeah, a moment please. No, right. I mean, it, so, really, it really was. It, yeah. it honestly is
2: a question sort of about Starfleet and Federation society. So, uh, right. so, so yeah, I mean, please, you can only geek out answering that <laughs> question unless your answer is geek
0: Well, here's the way I see it. So a couple of ways to look at this question. I think that, A... Yeah, I think you're on to something about communication being more open because we've established there is, A, a lot of communication going on, and B, the computer actually listening in on the vast majority of that communication, mm-hmm. simply because the computer has to be aware of what's going on to, A, route the messages where they go, and B, make sure that the computer responds when the computer is requested to respond. So Yeah, except we've, we've talked about that
2: before, too, though. It's always listening for the audio trigger i mean it always listens for its name computer as we sit here and record this just in the past few months um apple's mobile operating system ios has come out with something called hey siri
1: mm-hmm. and
2: and for i'm sorry I, I i try not to actually say that any place that it's recorded because somebody right now stopped listening to us <laughs> and siri just popped up and said your phone just came on here dude what can i do for you uh, right. or, or whatever siri says when you say that so you hmm. say those words and then that's sort of what triggers it which is a right. bit different than if the computer were listening contextually, right? Right, like right. If, like if Picard was saying, "Going, oh man, I wish we knew how long we we're going to take to get there." Yeah, and the computer suddenly said, "Oh well, it'll take three point two days." You know, <laughs> right. then it'd right. be right. like, "Hey, you're you're chatty and listening and paying too much attention," as opposed to listening for the audio cue. But I do get well, what you're saying. I mean, there certainly is the potential for that to happen.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I think it does go a little beyond just the trigger word because it, there is. What we've seen up until now, at least a certain level of responsiveness, it goes beyond giving a direct order. And I think we will see more of that as we go along. But but I do think that there is a level of openness simply for the fact that you can go to the library computer and call up anything and you call up the logs from another ship. You can call up the logs, which technically, yes, ship logs are. Treated with a certain level of openness um, in this kind of organization anyway. But theoretically, you could go back and get personal logs. Theoretically, you could go back and retrieve a lot of other kind of information. And unless you are specifically encoding a message, as we saw in conspiracy, um, you may just have to assume a certain level of transparency. Let's say that today... You know, I I can go through the government and use the Freedom of Information Act to grab certain information. And some of that may be redacted and some of it may be protected under different levels of security. But I can still do it. And it just takes as long as it takes for that person to receive the request and decide, you know, what needs to come to me to get it to me. Go 300 years in the future. And then you've got a computer that has access to everything. Mm -hmm that can then pull that instantly. So that that's one way to look at that question. But the other way to look at the question is just between these ships and this specific episode. From a technical standpoint, the way I figure it has to work is that here comes a ship, Here's the Enterprise waiting on that ship. And when Picard says open hailing frequencies, they're literally trying every frequency in the book. They are trying everything that their ship will produce Mm. to establish communication. And if that happens to be an old style FM radio, then they're going to use the old style FM radio. Therefore, the other ship that is the same technology as the ship they've encountered would be able to read that, too.
2: Hmm. Interesting. And you just, yeah. Well, I would think that once you actually establish communications, though, you would lock in and and talk more privately. But maybe not. I mean, again, maybe that's part of the whole open uh, you know, Starfleet Federation thing. Or maybe that's yeah, but just I mean, the technical thing that you're talking about.
0: Right. Well, I mean, when we transmit radio signals from Earth, they, they keep going and going and going. And, and they will dissipate the further out they get. But you could go you know, a light year from here, a couple of light years from here, and that information will get there eventually. Yeah. You know, so Dick Biondi... You know, Dick Biondi from 1974 is at some point going to reach Alpha Centauri. See, I, because thought you, I thought you were cursing at me. I don't know what a Dick Biondi is. <laughs> no. you know, old, old, old school radio ah. host in
2: Chicago. OK, Okay. Yeah. well, one of my old radio teachers and Bermuda Schwartz is still out there someplace mm, like there floating among the cosmos. Uh, it's interesting go. that you keep mentioning the computer because there was one other thing that I thought of. Uh, data hmm. actually seems to be acknowledging that the enterprise computer is smarter than he is. Yeah. In this episode, because uh, when he's talking over with Guinan, who um, about, you know, what's funny and what makes funny and all that stuff, she says, normally I would suggest you turn to a higher power. But in your case, I would suggest a smarter computer. (laughs) And there's no like, you know, well, I'd have to build one or I don't even know where I'd find that. He just goes straight to the holodeck. Yeah. I I don't know if maybe the whole Moriarty thing from last week sort of like has, has, has cowed him. Or, or I, I
0: would think so. Yeah. Or
2: maybe he's just thinking, well, there is no smarter computer, but maybe one on, on which I on a level on which I can play. Uh,
0: <laughs> I it know. was
2: it was a strange it was a strange thing to see happen immediately after considering what happened last week.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I, I would think that, that would have to be the case is is that the enterprise computer at the very least has more access to more information. Yes, like data still has to either plug in or read things very fast, or yes. or listen to things very fast, as he did in this case. But yeah, but wow, yeah, the the enterprise computer, um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> at least as far as data is concerned. Yeah, well, and if data is, you know, if he knows. That the computer is smarter than him, then everybody else on the ship should still again, be very yeah. concerned and careful around the computer.
2: That could still just be Data's low self-esteem, though. I mean, go back to the episode where they're like, you know, uh, we're only going to send you because it's dangerous. And Data's like, yeah, you're right, because I could die. <laughs> <laughs> right. but, but that's re-arguing something that happened the last season. And forget it. There's so much more to talk about in this episode.
0: Yeah, okay, well, you mentioned Data's self-esteem. Yeah. And, and that was kind of my major note here, because uh, here here's the thing. All right, so Data, for an android who doesn't understand humor, mm-hmm. since it comes from an emotional, spontaneous, and and we'll put quotes around it, human place, mm-hmm. Data seems to be having a very easy time with emotions like frustration, disappointment, melancholy. I mean, he looks so defeated when he can't make a joke and make a genuine joke. And I had to wonder, is this just the difficulty of writing for a character like Data, where he's not human, but human writers still have to fall back on ways for the audience to understand and care about Data's journey, his overall character arc? Because the other way to write this would simply be that Data doesn't know and doesn't care what humor is. He is an android, after all, bereft of feeling. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I like the idea presented here that humor is an essential part of being human. I I would think so, and I would hope so. And being more human-like is at the core of Data's programming. But he, he already seems mired in a lot of other emotions since he can't tell a joke. You know, the the way that the way it reads on his face, the way he has these conversations, the 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 pall that comes over him when he's standing on stage and realizes that they're just laughing because the the audience is programmed to laugh. um, That read to me as an emotion. So he's got those emotions down pat. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He really, he really works like a master in the emotions of disappointment, confusion, forlorn, melancholy, all of these things. He's great at it. Um, Is is
2: there a cruelty or it doesn't even matter? Oh, man. See, Mm
1: -hmm. is
2: there is there a cruelty to Sung programming data to want to be human or was data programmed to want to be human? Or is this just something that happened because his positronic brain is so, so darn big? and so darn complex yeah. and, if, and if that's the case then he really should get a joke i mean if, if he really went from just being zeros and ones to this desire well then he's i mean he is human at that point point. and i'm not making a joke about the whole thing where last week they said you know uh, well wanting to be human is the most human thing in the world or wanting something and not having it mm-hmm. it's human nature to love what we don't have i believe was the quote I'm not making a joke about that. I mean if he's made some leap from just being the world's greatest cipher to actually like like a desire to do something, then he is human at that point, it seems to me, or at least he's alive. He's crossed whatever right. whatever whatever divide that is. If on the other hand Sung programmed him to be to want to be human, I don't know if that's like inflicting frustration on data or inflicting frustration on everyone else. <laughs> Right, and right. Like, well, oh, great, well, the android's trying to learn comedy again. Because this has been a recurring theme. I mean, no, he's not gone as far as, you know, hiring Joe Piscopo to tell him jokes. He's not gone so far as building a, a you know, a comedy club set. Yeah. But, but he, yeah. Um, you know, he he he's done the whole thing where he keeps telling jokes to Geordie I mean, that was a recurring thing in season one. Right.
0: What's the deal with that? Well, <laughs> we've talked about it a little bit before, and and it kind of goes back to the the semantic question about – data being programmed to try to be human or data being programmed to learn about humanity, to try to understand humanity. Mm-hmm. And part of that learning and understanding is to participate in the actions of being human, You know, live among humans, work among humans, try to get the humor, try to get this. But, but it does seem to go that extra step further where we blend and, and we have a very fuzzy gray line between learning about humanity and actually trying to be human. Because he can't be human. Just by definition, Data cannot be human. He will always be Data. He will be an android. But he can come as close as possible to emulating humans. So maybe it is cruel. Maybe it was just short-sighted in the programming. Or maybe Soon didn't care because Soon realized that Data is simply the combination of his programming okay
2: <laughs> or maybe or maybe we're taking it too literally i mean i would imagine the data is supposed to be some sort of stand-in for us in the way and the way that every character on star trek i believe is supposed to be a stand-in for some aspect of us all the way through Although Well sure sure the 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 frustration the frustration inherent in Data, you know, yeah. constantly I want to be something else, but I never will be and not even being OK with it. That's the thing. Most characters, you know, might might have that moment where they're like, well, I really wanted to do this, but but it was better to do this or it was right to do this. No, for Data, it's just oh, I really want to do that and I can't. Yeah. Yeah. The, the end. Oh, right. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I mean, you know, Song at that point is building. Uh, an android that could carry around a lot of ennui <laughs> you know <laughs> he's he's building this this machine that is programmed to want to do something constantly and never truly being able to to capture it so he forgot to program him with the ability to just let it go let it to, go. To just yeah. realize like hey i don't have to do that i don't need to be this other thing i can be perfectly happy just being myself and myself is an Android who has these cool features and these cool abilities. Um, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, well, I mean, in fairness though, each, each
2: model is an improvement because before data was lore, mm-hmm. little known fact before Lore was Marvin, the paranoid Android. So, Oh yeah. yeah. Okay, so, I mean, good. Things, things actually good. are getting better. Yeah. Uh, it, it might be a few more though before he gets it exactly right.
0: I apologize to the audience, but I have the bell that we ring when a uh, Hitchhiker's Guide reference is made. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll try to cut that in later. Um, I, I do want to focus just on the, the comedy thing a little bit because it occurred to me that, you know, I'm trying to parse comedy along with data uh, as watching the show because you, you and I, we already said we're fans of stand-up comedy and fans of comedy shows and and really – who isn't a fan of comedy at some point, who doesn't like to laugh at some point. Um, But I was thinking, you know, maybe part of the problem with Data is that the comedian has to be in on the joke. And Data just literally can't be in on the joke, no matter what, (laughs) because he can't. Um, And he also doesn't have an ego, you know comedians are are telling jokes for the ability to have people listen to to communicate an idea and to have that audience get that idea and there's sort of a positive feedback loop going on for the comedian and the audience and the audience and the comedian and that would have no meaning on data either you know data doesn't make a good call on the bridge and Picard say, well done, Data, and then Data gets some satisfaction from that, like, awesome, I did a great job. No, just Data did his job, hmm. not not did a great job and can feel happy about that.
2: Well, it depends if, on the episode. I mean, sometimes somebody will say, thank you, Mr. Data, or something like that, and he'll smile. Mm-hmm. But, but, I mean, this uh, there, there's actually there there was a line and it's a total throwaway line except it's not really a total throwaway line somebody says something about i never see you laugh somebody says to data i never see you laugh and he says i laugh when it's expected of me yeah i mean so much of what so much of what we get out of data may be huh maybe that's the reason he's programmed that way because the assumption would be nobody would want to be an android they would want to be human maybe everything about data is is just living up to expectation Maybe this whole examination of, you know, how do I be more human? How am I more Mm -hmm. comedic is actually just to make people feel better about the fact that he wants to be them. Because how scary would an android be? And sort of like what lore claimed happened to him on that planet, right? People got jealous Mm -hmm. of how good Mm -hmm. he was. maybe there is actually something very scary about a robot who's walking around self-satisfied. The one who's sitting at the top of the... uh, the the, the hierarchic pyramid or whatever. How were you saying Right. A a robot who's self-actualized would probably freak people out because as much as they think they're self-actualized, it's really only Kirk and Picard that we've met so far. Right. right. And maybe Riker. Maybe Riker.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's hit on one more thing here. Um, And I thought that the element of sexuality in the story was pretty interesting. You know, we, we dealt pretty frankly with things in justice, Everybody goes down to this pleasure planet. They're like, hey, I can do whatever I want to do and everybody here is willing. And now again, we have Enterprise crew members who apparently are pretty easy to be swept off their feet. Um, That's not seen as a big deal or or really any kind of deal at all, Mm -hmm. uh, except for Worf, maybe. Um, They all seem to have spent too much time in space with the same people. And not a lot of variety there. So when, right. when the new guy shows up. Seriously, mm-hmm. there's a thousand people on the Enterprise, though. Yeah, yeah. All right. All wearing the same uniform. All, right. and all And all sticking to the same org chart. And here's a guy who comes in and breaks it up. I can see how that would be appealing.
2: Well, they've apparently got some dazzling evening wear, though. And they do also have a holodeck, which has an amazing wardrobe, you know, like side closet. They don't even get the wardrobe when they go into the holodeck. Remember, Picard had to get dressed up.
0: Yeah, yeah. To, but, but go, but the, to, uh,
2: to go to. A foggy London town last week.
0: But it seems like nobody's ever allowed to use the holodeck because it's only senior staff and, and it's always empty for them. Like, senior staff I'm just walk down there and, okay, I'm going to go to a comedy club or if I'm Riker, I'm going to go <laughs> Mac on Minuet for a little while, you know? <laughs> all right, all right, fair enough. And Deanna refers to the problem as uh, ancient codes of procreation when, uh, when we're visited by the, the two other vessels. Meaningless, to us but important to them and to me that that sounded like uh, a gene roddenberry thing kind of trying to to push and mold the edge of that envelope when it came to new codes of sexuality um, and also i'm assuming that women on the enterprise know way more about birth control than uh Yenar does because um again okana he's just making his way from one room to another and uh, <laughs> nobody seems to care nobody seems to be worried about that at all
2: yeah well it was mm. a different time right mm-hmm. i mean it, it's mm-hmm. so weird to me it it it's it's so weird to think that we've actually regressed as far as sexual attitudes maybe some of that has to do with the aids crisis or maybe some of it just has to do with a backlash on on a more liberal time mm-hmm. but but you can more freely talk about sex, it seems to me, or joke about sex then than you can now as we mm-hmm. record this. Yeah. I, I don't know. I could be wrong about that, but that's sort of the feeling that I get. Was there any part of it, and, and forgive me, this is not me just going back to my old standby, but was there any part of it that struck you as sexist at all? The fact, the fact that O'Connor yeah. is, is able to turn Terry Hatcher's character inside of 30 seconds... Mm-hmm. And and only because, well, he's just he's so suave and so cool. And, you know, yeah, sure, I say this to all kinds of women, but, you know, you're going to be turned on by it. And suddenly she is. I mean, was yeah. there any part of it that bothered you about it? Or was it just sort of like, because on the one hand, you could say, well, it's it's kind of empowering, right? This woman wants to sleep with this guy, and so she will. And, and, and it doesn't matter. And that's totally cool. And, right. I mean, there was certainly a certain amount of... Um, a sexist attitude between uh, Yanar and her father, although, you know, it points to her because she was like, "Yeah, I'm not I'm not going to marry either of them. I'll show you. And of course, she does marry Benzel. But I mean, she I mean, she did stand up for herself in that where it was sort of assumed that, well, she's the woman and she's the young woman and she's in the family way. So obviously she's going to have to do, I think, what they actually referred to as the right thing. Right, right.
0: Um, yeah, she does. She does stand up for herself eventually. Yeah. And I, I guess the problem with the um, Robinson character, Terry Hatcher's character with Okana is that you and I and the audience at large have to kind of fill in the rest of that conversation, because if you could call it out for being sexist it's just that well here's the good-looking guy and just by virtue of the fact that he's the good-looking rakish guy gets to come in and do whatever he pleases (laughs) because these women are like ready and willing right yeah so you and i are are kind of filling in the blanks and saying okay well terry hatcher's character robinson she is also a professional she is a, a free agent she is an adult blah 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 and we're Maybe this was stuff that could have been in an alternate version of the script Hmm. where we actually get to have that conversation about what sexuality means in the future, but that didn't become this episode and it's too bad. So if I were to chalk it up for being sexist, I would chalk it up for being sexist just because we don't get the full story. Well, or maybe because that's that's the mark of how cool
2: Okana is. I mean, he mm-hmm. is, he is basically mm-hmm. that thing. Every guy wants to know him, and every girl wants to, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and so that it's like it's a, it's a very shorthand of wow, how cool is Okana? Any woman, mm-hmm. any woman, he wants mm-hmm. to. Boom, there that is, and that's it, maybe it's just. Uh, you know sort of uh, shorthand slash dare I say lazy writing or maybe mm-hmm. it's actually a sexist but uh, well, we, we can leave that to others to decide. Yeah.
1: it is a shame that Dr. Pulaski was not in this episode how much fun would she have had heckling data
0: Ken I was shocked shocked that you opened the last segment kind of tipping your hat to your feelings about this episode, but, um, I'll, uh, sorry, <laughs> but uh, I'll throw it back to you because maybe, maybe you can just, you know, bring it home for us and just kind of summarize your feelings on the show. Now that we've gotten past the deep, deep meanings and, in, uh, in the outrageous arcana, how do you feel about it? Does the episode hold up?
2: Um, no, there are parts of it. There's never much to do about nothing to this episode, which is not to say that it's a good episode and it's weird to say, you know, oh, there's something Shakespearean about this and yet it's mm. crap. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't go so far as to say it's crap. I mean, it, you could say there's something of much to do about nothing to it, but you could also say the same. I mean, you could say there's a lot of threes company to it, too. You know, there's the, mm-hmm. just the understanding and the, and the, the, the guy who is assumed to be rakish and terrible, but ends up having a heart of gold and actually brings the whole thing together. That's right. He's the Jack Tripper of this episode. <laughs> it might be more accurate to liken it to three's company. Um, And and that's also not to say that it's good. <laughs> um, I actually had to go and look it up and see if this was a pilot for another show, because this feels like a pilot mm-hmm. for the Okana show. Mm-hmm. And I can't find any reference that it was, so I'm assuming it actually wasn't, but it feels exactly like that. It feels like the Gary Seven episode of uh, of the original series, or it feels like... An absolutely terrible episode of the golden girls that i saw one time and you say you can discern and i say oh yes i can (laughs) a terrible episode of of the golden girls that had paul dooley and rita moreno in it and and it was a pilot and it was it was ghastly awful for for so many reasons including for some reason i wanted to watch an episode of the golden girls and i was sort of screwed out of that yeah i know this is is like an onion of a story i know um (laughs) the O'Connor, the outrageous okana felt like it was a um a pilot for a different show. And so you don't really get a satisfactory Star Trek uh, episode out of it, but you don't get a satisfactory other show out of it either, I don't think. Mm -hmm. Um, I mentioned the whole thing about the treatment of Yanar through it, although I do like the fact that she stood up for herself, so that's cool. All of that said, there are neat little moments. I mean, it... (sighs) Patrick Stewart is so in this character at this point, And sadly, he's relegated to being scenery a couple of times. And certainly he makes a lot of decisions in this episode that he would not make mm-hmm. in most episodes. But he's funny. He He's 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 comfortable in this. Uh, the whole thing about when they when they come across uh, the ship that points the lasers at them and, and he says, we're going to lower shields. And Riker says, uh, may I ask why, sir? Well, in case we want to surrender, <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, right.
2: and, and there's, yeah. and also the thing where, they, where where he calls for the for for the captain to be brought up on screen, and Worf says which one, and Picard snaps at him, what? There's something there's something very comfortable about his performance in this. Yeah, um, a couple of times the things with Data did make me laugh. When when Guinan says uh, maybe it's the timing, and Data says my timing is digital, she says it's funny. Well, she's right. It is mm-hmm. a funny line. Mm-hmm. Uh, the mm-hmm. the Burns Allen thing at the end absolutely doesn't work. No. Although take my wharf, please, is kind of <laughs>
1: um,
2: I enjoyed the episode the first time I watched it more than I enjoyed it the second time. I think because I was so caught up with, hey, that's Billy Campbell. Hey, that's Terry Hatcher. Mm-hmm. Hey, do I know that kid from something? Mm-hmm. Um, hey, it's Joe Piscopo. But yeah, the second watching actually made me Well, I was bummed that I had to watch it again. <laughs> <That's> <laughs>
1: oh, way to put
2: no. it. So if you've never seen it, watch it once and take any good feelings from it. And uh, and 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 live with those good memories. At least that's my feeling. Maybe I'm being a little harsh, though. What do you think?
0: Wow. So you you mean in in the normal show prep that we do where we watch an episode like four, maybe five times that this was not this did not reach the five time mark. This did not reach the three time mark for me. Okay. Honestly,
2: (laughs) maybe if Um, I'd watched it a third time. I would have been like, oh, but wait a minute. I didn't catch the thing. (laughs) A guy in the third row in the comedy clubs wearing a carnation. And that obviously means
0: no. Right. No. No this is this does not hold up uh no no patently it does not hold up um but is it a bad episode well no it's just not a good episode it's yeah. it just the whole thing is kind of flat yeah. and i i guess i tipped my hand early on when i was doing the recap because that's that's how the episode, you could literally see so acts one, two, three, four, and five. Data tells jokes, Okona goes away. And that's, that, that's kind of it because I feel like nobody really learned anything by the end of this. Um, Okona has a little bit of an arc. He becomes a little bit of a better guy, but Okona also got out of it because he was never really the bad guy to begin with. He's just the lovable rogue.
2: Yeah, he, I don't feel like he even becomes a better guy. He wasn't bad. I mean, no, the right, whole thing right, right, right. Okay, and there is actually a major failing in this episode.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Okana is lying the whole time. Right? Mm-hmm. Or he's or he's mm-hmm. covering something up anyway. Yeah. Where's the Betazoid? Yeah, right. <laughs> Cuz right. she's sitting right there and when Okana says, "I can't think of any reason that these people would be after me." I mean, she should be pulling the captain aside at that point and going or she should just I mean the way she's acted in the past, you should say, why are you lying to the captain right now, Captain O'Connor?" Right. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, oh, wow. The more I think about it, the less. Go. I'm sorry. Yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah. I apologize.
0: No, no, no. Because I, I, that, that's really about it. Uh, it it <laughs> doesn't, it doesn't hold up. But here's something, it's not offensively bad to me. Like, say, and the children shall lead or something like that, where you just um, go, wow, th- this is How horrible. are you going to bash and the children shall lead?
2: That, that, that
0: show taught oh, let, us let so
2: much. let me count much. the ways. Let me count us the ways, Ken. So much. <laughs> I, I honestly take much more from And the Children Shall Lead than I do from this episode. Is this a more enjoyable episode to watch? Yes, but yeah. probably only because of Billy Campbell and Terry Hatcher. Yeah. Uh, but there was actually more to be... Uh, uh, seriously, the as you believe, so shall you do thing? Come
0: on. Mm-hmm. Should I have said the alternative factor? Yes, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> there you go. Um yeah, so it, it wasn't painful to watch. It was just sort of yeah. forgettable to watch. We're not going to be talking about this episode a year from now or two years from now. Where I don't know, unless um, this is unless we get sort of, of a barometer
2: oh, for the rest of the show. Unless we get a chance to interview Terry Hatcher, in which case we will be talking about this episode a year from now.
0: Oh yeah, or two yeah, years from now, be, or yeah. Billy
2: Campbell. I'm not picky. Yeah, that'd be well, cool. I am picky actually. <laughs> <laughs> but different things for different things. Sorry. What's the, what's the message, Ken? Ah, was there one? I I mean, nothing, I don't think. I mean, because, I mean, look, if he's supposed to be Han Solo, Han Solo is a story of redemption in Star Wars. He goes from being a bad guy, or at least a a just out for himself guy in the original Mm. Star Wars movie, uh, to a guy who will lay down his life for other people, to a guy who does fall in love, to a guy who is totally redeemed in Return of the Jedi. So you got a guy dressed up as Han Solo. And cocky like Han Solo, but but there's not a moment that he's bad. Do you think there was a message here?
0: Uh, you you can't learn funny because God knows we've tried. <laughs> that's I mean <laughs> that that that's about it. Now I you know there are interesting ideas here. You you had an interesting idea where we get a peek into the the sexual mores of the enlightened, advanced twenty fourth century humanity compared to these backward maybe more 20th century-like aliens that we run into. So that that could have been... I would dare say that had this been the original series, there might have been a more interesting look at that, a more interesting take on that than what we get here. Mm-hmm. But here is just kind of a throwaway. Um,
2: is he sort of like a Harry Mudd kind of character in a way? He could have been... The only problem is, but he wasn 't next gen is yeah. not is is not as straight laced as the original series was, right? If you right. put the outrageous Okana mm-hmm. in with the original series crew, he would stick out like a sore thumb in the way that Harry Mudd did, even if he doesn 't play it as over the top as uh, as Mr Carmel did yeah i mean he would he would really stick out because it 's a much more straight laced thing I mean is he supposed to be like so rakish and knavish, but the problem is we've seen. Riker play the trombone and we've seen Riker, you know, in a in a nightclub talking that minuet, and we've seen you, Picard dress up like, you know, Dixon yeah. Hill. I mean, these are yeah. we've seen these people sort of let loose. So when some guy comes on, he's like, Whoa ho, I'm just sort of free loving and kind of crazy. Everybody's like, Yeah, seen it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I I I was thinking about the Harry Mudd uh kind of comparison at one point, and I just kinda of dropped it Because I felt like, I I don't know, this guy is a doer. Uh, You can read that however you like. Um, Whereas Harry Mudd is just sort of, I I don't know. Harry Mudd is building robots and he's sort of lost in his own world. Um, This guy, Okana, is a little more redeeming than Harry Mudd, but then like you said, he doesn't really have anything to be redeemed from because he's not necessarily a bad guy. right? Um, it, you know, the, the turnaround is just Wesley's talk and I'm sorry but that, <laughs> that was too little too late to be believable. Yeah,
2: even that didn't make any sense though because what was O'Connor's yeah. plan before that? His plan before that was apparently, okay, you fix my ship then yeah. let me go and yeah. then those guys are going to shoot me.
1: Right, right.
2: <laughs> right. But then he has the heartfelt talk with Wesley, and he's like, oh, you know, on second thought, I will stick around. Because apparently now he has this other plan, which Picard goes along with without even hearing what it is.
0: Right? He's right. like,
2: oh, you have a plan? Well, we better get everybody up here on the ship then. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, yeah. leave your weapons there. Well, we do want to kill this guy, but oh, okay, <laughs> we'll leave our weapons. And of course that works out. Oh, we, we should stop talking about this episode, because the more we hmm. do, the less
0: Ah. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, that might spark some interesting emails and comments. So uh, I look forward to those. And Ken, uh, do, do things get bigger and better next week?
2: Things next week, John, get loud as a whisper.
1: Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at Warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at K-I-Theory.com. You all have been great. Be sure to tip your playback device. Audience Program, Off-